Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Believe in Softball. I'm your host, Jenna Becerra, and things are a little bit different this week. The theme is none other than the Women's College World Series, which would have been literally right now. It would have just started had the 2020 season played out the way that we thought it would when the year started. And a lot has actually led us to this moment. So lots to talk about today. Let's walk through the order. First, we'll cover our bases. I'll cover sports and World Series updates. And then we're going to have a little bit of a breakdown today. It's going to be me breaking it down to you. I'm going to walk through what we usually see at the Women's College World Series and how different aspects of the NCAA game ranks today. And then, of course, we'll mix in the double play tip of the week. Let's hit it. So for covering our bases, man, missing sports is hitting hard. I mean, I can't really believe that it's actually only been two and a half months since this whole thing really started. Each month in 2020 has felt like an entire year in itself. We're just stuck at home. It's crazy. But while you are at home, you can actually still get involved and stay entertained by betting with our partner, betonline.ag. I get it. Without the NBA, the WNBA, the NHL, MLB, or yep, even the MPF, although I hope you've been watching reruns, actually BetOnline has hundreds of games still, events, and even some sports that you can bet on. You got NASCAR. Still going with Madden and NBA 2K simulations. I continue to be blown away, by the way, by the attention that Coach Duggs is getting in the NCAA football video game. So why not do that here with us? There's also UFC and an online casino with poker and blackjack. Also, don't forget to check out the final dance. It's got interviews with former Chicago Bulls, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper. They're diving into everything related to MJ and the last dance doc, so pretty interesting. I'm excited. There's still a lot we can do, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to get your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. Yeah, that's BetOnline, your online wagering solution. And speaking of solutions, another update I got for you is the new coach, head coach at Cal over in Berkeley has been named. So Chelsea Spencer has been hired as the new head coach. She was a Cal alum herself and actually was part of the 2002 national championship team. She played shortstop. She is now replacing Diane Neinmeier, who was her old coach, really just a pillar of the softball community, honestly, for decades. And she had stepped down earlier this season, mainly due to health-related reasons. And Spencer is now coming from Texas, where she was an assistant coach with Mike White, and Texas had been crushing it this year. And she actually was with him over at Oregon before that and was part of the Pac-12 staff of the year in 2016. So safe to say she's really familiar with Pac-12 softball. And by the way, did I mention that the national championship that she had as a player at Cal is the only one that the Bears have in their entire history? So to me, this actually... Of course it does, but it reminds me of Stanford with Jessica Allister. 
She was part of both World Series appearances that the Cardinal have had in their history. And now here she is at the helm of the program herself. They both know how to win. There's honestly a little bit of an extra something that's there when you're doing it in the same colors as well. Just that alma mater feel is different. So between that and their new facilities, honestly, this new era for Cal softball, it looks positive for the Bears. I mean, the Stanford alum in me hates to say that, right? But I also back the pack, and I especially love that they're starting to make a comeback to be at the top of the nation again. I mean, UCLA last year, breaking the nine-year championship drought. Cal's making moves. Stanford's on the rise. Lots of great stuff coming from there. The caliber of the World Series has so many different players going into it. And there is an awesome story in D1 softball by actually my guest from last week, Rhiannon Potkey. She really is a rock star. But this story was so cool. For 23 years, Carolyn Bledsoe has been the patch lady. That's what everybody called her. And she's been sewing the NCAA Women's College World Series patches onto players' uniforms in Oklahoma City. So she's actually 75 years old. She sews for 24 hours straight when she gets uniforms to when they need them without sleep. And she does this volunteering. Now, there are easily over 300 uniforms she has to do. Each player has at least two. And she organizes them by right-handed batters, left-handed batters, pitchers, whether they're lefty or righty, so it's visible for the cameras. She said she watches Super Regionals to make sure she has the right thread colors to actually sew the patches for each team. I mean, it's just full commitment. She's dealt with dirty uniforms to having to sew at the ballpark, like you name it. So many things that she's been a part of in the last couple decades. And her background was also interesting. She was actually diagnosed with polio as a kid, couldn't really play sports, but then ended up later on coaching her daughters in softball and even umpiring some youth sports. And now as part of her role here, She gets tickets every year for her family, and they've had some health battles with her husband and her son, and there's even more to the story there. But it all started when she got the job 23 years ago because they needed somebody last minute, and the rest is history. It's really just a great story. Definitely go to D1 Softball and check it out. Because I feel like, you know, right now, we all miss the action of softball and the World Series. It's so exciting, but these are the stories about the community, the people, everything that goes into it. This is what I think we're really going to miss the most. With all of this in mind, I really want to get into today's breakdown about how the game ranks today and what we normally see going into the World Series. Now, we've actually had a lot of guests that know exactly what the World Series is all about on this show. We've had national champions like Natasha Watley out of UCLA in episode four, Daniel Lurie from Washington in episode seven, Kehlani Ricketts from Oklahoma in episode 11. We've also had a lot of people who have been to the World Series, which is honestly, that's a long path just to get there. It's a lot like the Elite Eight almost, getting to that stage. A couple of coaches, really. Jay Miller in episode five out of Hofstra, but has had a long career. Coach Trisha Ford at ASU in episode eight, Danielle O'Toole in nine, Dana Sorensen and Jessica Alistair actually as well. They were the battery that went together twice to Oklahoma City. And then of course, Monica Abbott as well in episode 12. So to me, they've helped pave the path to where we are right now, which is that college softball is on fire. 
granted, we didn't get to play most of the 2020 season, but really where we're at as a community is on fire. Seeing its growth really warms my heart. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like the postseason and the World Series every single spring. The electric energy, the coordinated cheers, the all-out effort, the school pride, the heart, the purity, the fact that anybody can win on any given day, even, you know, the video bombs during TV interviews. It all just creates an atmosphere and experience that's unique to this sport and our community. And it's the best of the best talent. That's why millions of viewers tune in to watch the World Series every single year. College softball has become an, a revenue sport. I mean, there was up to $450 million in revenue that was generated in the 2016-2017 school year. The most coverage of D1 softball ever happened last year with 1,200 games on ESPN and their platforms in 2019, and even more were planned for 2020 initially. We went from only seeing games on TV the last couple weekends, maybe, of the season to watching midweek games on ESPN in February. Like, it's just mind-blowing. But really, there still is nothing like postseason. And I'd venture to say that mayhem gives March Madness a pretty good run for its money. So like anything else, softball has evolved as it's grown. And given that we would have been in the 2020 World Series right now, I want to break down how I'd rank the game today. And we'll look at what we saw last year heading into the 2019 World Series and where we were pacing this year in the very shortened 2020 season. And when I say the different aspects of the game, I mean the big ones. Hitting, fielding, pitching. How do those rank today? How has the game actually evolved? To me, it's pretty straightforward. Hitting is number one, and it's phenomenal. I mean, it's without a doubt the biggest draw to NCAA softball today. We see power on display with home runs, even a home run cycle last year with Danielle Gibson from Arkansas, 10 RBIs in a game. And then Miranda Ellis this year in February hit over 800 in a weekend. I mean, we see skill with gap-to-gap hitting, and we see grit and emotion with timely base hits and walk-offs. We even get rally caps, right? Like Sam Schwartzstein in his episode talking about how he modeled the XFL after NCAA softball. Some of it was just that energy right there, getting into it and having that presence in the dugout. So what's not to love, really? And hitting has also improved more than any other part of the game, in my opinion. Sure, you know, we can say bat technology is more sophisticated, but I think there's a lot more to it than that. The growth of softball has led to a couple of important things. I think, number one, the spreading of knowledge and correct hitting mechanics, and obviously with that, more coaches to teach them. And that's actually something that Monica Abbott mentioned when she was on the show When I asked her, why do you think the level of softball has gone up so much on the international stage, not even just here, but internationally? And she said that was the number one thing, the spreading of knowledge. I'd say number two, there's improved and tailored strength and conditioning programs. And that's actually something that Dana Sorensen brought up. You know, she was an all-American stud on the mound for Stanford, but now that's what she does for a living. She's all about movement and how each player has their own. It's not a cookie cutter approach. 
each player, it's important how their body's moving and how you can work smart and not just work hard. So now really with all this hitting over 300, it's not only attainable, it's honestly, it's relatively commonplace at this point. Half of the programs heading into the 2019 World Series were hitting above that mark as a team, not just the top individuals, the entire team. Half of the teams also had an overall base percentage above 400. And Oklahoma, UCLA, and Arizona, who are mainstays at the World Series typically, and they were there last year, were in both of those categories. Now, in 2020, granted, when we look at 2020, it's not the same thing as looking at an entire season like 2019, especially because typically preseason is not going to be as high of a level of competition as you're seeing in conference, especially ones like the Pac-12, the SEC, the Big 12, et cetera, and then the World Series where it's literally the best teams in the country. But it can give us a sense on where people are pacing. So the team average being 300 or better, 60 D1 teams in 2020 were at that point. 39 D1 teams had an on-base percentage of 400 or better. Again, this maybe wouldn't have continued throughout the whole season, right? Because it's not, it's not that easy. But the fact that there are so many teams that are even starting that way in the first month is mind-blowing. And if you look at the entire D1 landscape in 2019 leading into the World Series, 75 teams scored at least five runs per game on average. 22 teams had a slugging percentage over 500. Four teams had hit over 100 home runs, and that actually represented four different conferences, too, nationally. Oklahoma from the Big 12, Arizona from the Pac-12, Florida State from the ACC, and James Madison from the CAA, right? I mean, if we think about it for context, 10 years prior to that, Washington had a 295 team batting average, 51 home runs and a 438 slugging percentage when they won the 2009 national championship. Now, multiple programs match those numbers or better. ASU alone, this year in 2020, when I talked to Coach Ford on this show, they hit 50 home runs. They were leading the nation, 50. They already basically hit as much as Washington did in that entire season. And she said she gives a lot of credit to assistant coach Harger for his work with the girls and having tailored sessions with them, relaying them information in ways that actually works for them individually. And then of course, the technology that they have nowadays is unbelievable. They can literally digitally see Farrington Stadium as they're hitting in the cages and see where the ball paths are. I mean, this is just next level stuff. In 2020, 38 D1 teams had a slugging percentage of 500 or better to start the season. It's just unreal. But I think the important thing to remember here is that hitting is a relaxed skill. Ashley Hansen, who was on the second episode ever of Believe in Softball, was a national player of the year, and a huge part of it was at the plate. She had such a controlled approach before every single pitch, and she broke it down, every single thing that she did. She was even strategic on how she used her eye muscles. She didn't focus on the release point on the pitcher too soon. She stayed relaxed, looked elsewhere, and then zeroed in. Like little things like that, that can make such a big difference. And unfortunately, when we played, she was in my class. We didn't make it to the World Series, but she did go to two Super Regionals. And so did Alyssa Haber, another Stanford teammate of mine who was a four-time All-American, also went to two Super Regionals, and her career average at Stanford in the Pac-12 
one of the best conferences, was over 400. I don't know if I ever saw her hitting under 400. And she could drop a bun or drop a bomb at any moment. And Natasha Watley, I mean, come on, possibly the greatest triple threat of our time. And she now grows the game through passing on the art of slapping, but also versatility in the box, which is so important to today's game. So hitting is just absolutely next level. There's just no doubt about it. But what I would rank second to that in today's game is pitching. It's not quite as dominant, but there are still some studs. So again, if we look back at the previous decade, ERAs were minuscule and strikeouts were astronomical, literally. I mean, Kat Osterman held a 0.37 ERA with 590 strikeouts at Texas in 2006. At Tennessee, Monica Abbott's ERA was 0.68 with an insane 724 strikeouts the next year in 2007. Jenny Finch, she had a 0.54 ERA when Arizona won the title in 2001. Danielle Laurie struck out 521 batters during their winning season again in 2009. I mean, these pitchers were pure dominance. There's really nothing else to say about it. But it's also important to note that they each threw hundreds of innings in a single season. And they were the ace that their team rode the entire year. So now those numbers are pretty unheard of. Right before the 2019 World Series, not a single pitcher who had thrown at least 100 innings, you know, ignoring any outliers, held an ERA that was under one. No pitchers came anywhere close to 500 strikeouts either. Only six had surpassed the 300 mark. I mean, with that said, though, there were still some studs that were getting it done on the mound. Five World Series teams last year were in the top 10 in the country for ERA as a staff going into Oklahoma City. Oklahoma, UCLA, Washington, Arizona, and Minnesota. And two of the six pitchers that had at least 300 Ks were also World Series bound at the time with Florida's Kelly Barnhill and Minnesota's Amber Pfizer. So honestly, these are obviously still incredible stats. It's just a very high bar that was left before them. If you look at 2020 and what we saw so far, there were 15 pitchers that had an ERA under one, but still even so 15 feels like a lot nationally, but only four weeks in, it's actually not that much because you think about it, it's filtered out every week typically. And one of them was Megan Framo over at UCLA and she actually had the most innings with 90 already, but she hadn't started conference yet. And everybody knows that the Pac-12 conference is a grind, to say the least. And with strikeouts, there were a handful of pitchers that were theoretically pacing towards 500 Ks. Megan Framo's on that list again. She was actually second in the nation with 149. But again, preseason competition is just not the same as conference and postseason. It's really difficult to strike people out like Bailey Hempel or Miranda Ellish even if she's on the other side of the ball at the time. There's a lot that goes into it. In terms of team ERA, not surprising, the defending national champions UCLA were actually number two in the nation as well with 1.20. And LSU was the only team that was under one. And teams today in general are fielding more of a true pitching staff and splitting innings between their hurlers. So 
this is partly, I think, because hitting has become so good and batters have to see a different look. If they see the same thing all the time, you're in trouble. But at the same time, this also helps avoid overuse. So pitchers can be fresher, maybe more ready for optimal performance. So with this increased volume of talent, we now see a lot of one-two punches in the circle. If we're looking at the 2019 World Series, G. Juarez was the Big 12 Pitcher of the Year out of Oklahoma, and Mariah Lopez was with her. Taryn Alvello and Gabby Plain, two All-Americans from Washington. Rachel Garcia, who was the National Player of the Year for the second time, by the way, and Megan Faremo, who was the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year at UCLA. So if you think about it, UCLA's number two pitcher from when they won the national championship last year, who didn't seem much time at all behind Garcia in the World Series, was now in 2020 leading the nation. And going into last year's World Series, no D1 teams had a collective ERA under one. 20 programs had a team ERA under two. 10 teams had 20 plus shutouts and eight teams had a strikeout to walk ratio of at least four, which means they struck out at least four times the amount of batters that they walked. But we've also spoken to a ton of pitchers on this show. I mean, Daniel Laurie, Danielle O'Toole, Dana Sorensen, Kilani Ricketts, Monica Abbott. Trisha Ford was a pitcher when she was a player and works with her pitchers now at ASU. And to me, the theme of those conversations is that there were two things that were really next level with them. There's just this edge and fire and ownership and almost a healthy mean streak. And I feel like we saw that a lot. And you hear that a lot with Daniel Laurie and Dana Sorensen. But the second thing is also buy-in, having trust with your teammates and your coaches, and even maybe having a little bit of a sense of humor to stay relaxed. We saw that a bit with Kehlani Ricketts and Danielle O'Toole. And the buy-in part is easy when you have coaches like Mike Candrea and Patty Gasso. So Danielle O'Toole talked a lot about tradition and how that was the Arizona way and how she was following Mike Candrea's vision and what Arizona softball stood for. Kehlani Ricketts talked a lot about Natty Patty and just how she's able to adjust along with her players and build a program that they can all trust in. There's a little lefty love there too. I don't know. Maybe that's a righty lefty thing. The righties are a little on edge. The lefties are a little looser. I don't know. But then, you know, of course, Monica was just Monica, just pure dominance for Monica Abbott as always. But to be clear, they all have both of these things. It's just in different combinations. And you can't forget, I have to mention, you can't forget the importance of the battery. Dana Sorensen and Jessica Alistair went to both of their World Series together, the only two in Stanford's history, and they're two of the most competitive people I've ever met, and I don't think that's by accident. So today, the bar is set so high from everyone who's laid the path, but one thing is very certain. Nowadays, having options on the mound is an advantage. So in the last piece that I would rank third is fielding. Defense has its standout moments, but I think there's a lot of room for improvement here. Defense wins championships. We've all heard one of the best sports dad quotes ever, probably. And last year, if you were looking at regionals and super regionals leading up to the World Series, and really every year, including preseason in 2020, 
You see diving catches in the dirt and the grass. You see outfielders run into the wall and make a grab and infielders throw out runners from their knees. These plays are not only amazing, they also save runs. But there are still a lot of simple mistakes along with what we see on SportsCenter and those can cost teams even more runs. So the errors are really all around. Bad throws, misreading the ball, not moving full speed, not charging, lack of communication, etc. And you know, I've mentioned a few championship teams from the previous decade here, but you look at Washington in 2009, their fielding percentage as a team was 966. If you look at Arizona in 2001, theirs was 981. And last year, all eight teams in the Women's College World Series had similar numbers, but only physical errors are noted in those stats. So you'll notice a lot of what I actually mentioned is mental. So it's possible to me that the increased focus on hitting has led to slightly less focus on fielding. Players who hit make it in the lineup. I mean, sometimes despite some defensive limitations that they might have. And the decline of lefty slapping, which is, I think, largely due to the stricter rules about staying in the batter's box, has also allowed the infield to get away with sitting on their heels at times. And then, if you think about it, better hitting also means more balls to field and more room for error. If pitchers aren't striking out as many people, then the defense has to work more. It makes sense. And in 2020, if you look at the fielding stats, so the team fielding percentage, there were 68 D1 teams that had at least a 966 fielding percentage, like Washington's 2009 team or higher. And if you look at errors committed as a team, only two teams are in the single digits. You got Stony Brook, who had two, which is unbelievable, and Oregon, who had eight. But it's a long season. There's a lot more that's going to come after that. I would also say, to be honest, errors are ruled a little bit differently today. If an infielder misplays a ball hit right at them, it's traditionally ruled an error. It's really logical. But now, if it's hit quote-unquote hard, that same ball might be ruled as a hit because it's considered more difficult to field. But it's not always consistent. There's a lot of home field advantage in terms of the calls, and I think the whole softball community then has an opportunity to sharpen its approach to defense. And you actually, you know, with our guests that we've had so far, you had two shortstops who could hit and could slap with Natasha Watley and Ashley Hansen. They could do it on both sides of the ball. And Natasha actually said that she just loves the art of it. I asked her what's more fun to beat somebody slapping and get on base or to beat somebody by throwing a slapper out as a shortstop. And she said she would rather slap and get on base, but that she absolutely loves the work that goes into defense and practicing defense. I feel like it has to be a true love if you like to practice defense, especially in the infield. It's not um, a day at the park to do that and to do it often. We talked about how she and Lovey Jung still talk about their USA softball days and the intense fungo that Mike Candrea would give them. It was no joke. Defense has to be taken seriously. So for today's players, I feel like the biggest theme is really a lack of spatial and situational awareness. And this indicates they can better prepare mentally before each pitch by reviewing every possible outcome for the given scenario. This is a past double play tip of the week. 
when in doubt, communicate, see the ball off the bat, see the ball all the way into your glove, have a strong first step, move full speed, set your feet when you throw, check your surroundings, and really relax. So when it comes to fielding this week, you know what? Hey, I'll just move up the double play tip of the week to right now for outfield and infield. It's about the physical approach, but also mentally, think about it as taking pride in the little things. So here are some specific defensive examples. For outfielders, ensure throws are online, especially to home plate. This is going to save runs. Read the ball off the wall to avoid having to chase it down. This limits extra bases. Call off the infield for in-between flares. This will avoid collisions. For infielders, charge grounders. That just should be your default reaction. This is going to give you better hops. Never get beat in front, ever. Corners, recognize speed and play up in a small ball situation to give yourself more time with the speedsters. This gets outs and it also forces them to hit it by you to get on base. And if they do that, tip your cap to them. They earned it. These are all details, but the overall adjustment is simple. Get back to fundamentals and trust that foundation. All a player can control is her approach. So you got to be consistent. And today there are still great plays. Yes, Sis Bates exists, right? She's a human highlight reel. But if we focus on this more as a community, we're going to see even more people flash the leather. So that's how I rank NCAA softball today. Hitting first, then pitching, then fielding. And all of these things are always put on display and come to a head for the World Series. Again, there's just nothing like postseason softball. It is so rare for a group of people to strive towards the same goal at the same time with this level of passion. And it's just inspiring. Anybody can win on any given day, and each part of the game has to click for a team to win a championship. When we talk to Natasha, Daniel Laurie, Kehlani, the common theme for all three of those champions is that it was all clicking. All three aspects of the game, hitting, pitching, and fielding, were all clicking. But also all three aspects of the individual players, physically, mentally, and emotionally, they were prepared, and those were clicking internally. And then, of course, there's just that trust with your teammates, and it comes from taking ownership and just being relaxed and playing for the love of the game. And we see it all. Incredible hitting, competitive pitching, and exciting fielding. It's thrilling if you're a sports fan, and it's empowering if you support strong women. And it is spreading like wildfire. People were already hungry for softball. And now with everything that's been going on in 2020, they're starving. So I think that 2021 is going to be absolutely unreal. There are some realities that we'll have to keep in mind. You know, I feel like we're putting a lot of stock into next year because so many things have been taken from this year. But we have to assume that everyone's health is okay and everybody's safe and that players will have proper training and be able to get practice in during this coming school year. And that's going to be a challenge, but it will come back. And so will the softball community because we never left. You've been listening to Believe in Softball available everywhere. You get your pods, Apple, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and believe.com subscribe, share, Rate and review. I want to know what you want to see more of. And then, of course, hit me up on Twitter at JennaBacera01 
and Instagram at Jenna Becerra. Maybe even listen to some of these past episodes that I've referenced. There's so many great guests that we've had that just have a ton of insight into this game and really to life. So I highly recommend that. And thank you. I always love breaking the game down with you. Catch you soon. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.